practicing the Dharma, we are learning to relax into something that is vast and something that we can learn to trust deeply. But in order to do so, we, we really need to see and uh, recognize how strongly we resist the possibility that we're not really making all of this happen, that we're not really, in the way we have imagined, in charge of our life. And so I'd like to speak about being in the ocean of life, what that might mean. Have you ever noticed yourself when paying attention to the breath, operating under the illusion that you're breathing, feeling the need to somehow make sure that it happens? despite the fact that it's been going on perfectly well without your attention on it for many, many years. It's actually rather fortunate that we don't need to pay attention to our breath in order for it to work, because probably most of us have had an absence of attention for more than three minutes, and uh, that would have been it. And of course, if it were the case that uh, it was paying attention to it that kept it going, we'd probably have all learnt very early on to do that, to do just that. But there's something that's hard to accept about the fact that this breathing just happens by itself. In one way, it might seem rather reassuring and lovely to contemplate, but do we really let it in? Do we really allow ourselves to acknowledge the implications of the fact that the most primary and basic sustaining of our existence goes on in a way that isn't dependent upon us? Our breath breathes, drawing in the oxygen that sustains us moment by moment. When we place food in our mouths and swallow it. What happens to it beyond that involvement that we have in the process, which I guess has some importance, no doubt. When we digest the food and it appears on our body, we don't determine where it shows up, do we? You know, If we could eat a nice piece of uh, something yummy and determine exactly how it would manifest. <laughs> We'd probably uh, find that rather delightful to be able to do so, but it's not what happens, is it? Turns up sometimes in the places we'd rather it didn't, and not in the places where we wish it did. Human body is a an ongoing lesson in humility and embarrassment. 
so long and insofar as we imagine that we are somehow responsible for how it turned out. There's a sense we can have of somehow holding ourselves, holding this life, somehow pulling in to contain, to mold, to form, to shape, to direct the unfoldment of our life, the unfoldment of our experience. And it, it leads to a sense of tightness, of rigidity. And yet if we just reflect upon how the essential things are happening by themselves, we can perhaps begin to sense that life is not something we need to hold so tightly. We could reflect upon what it means to be born onto this earth, a human being, to walk upon it. We take it somewhat for granted that this earth will support us. We don't really imagine or consider the fact that it wouldn't necessarily have to be that way. If this planet had been all water and we were born here, it would be a lot more difficult. Many of the conditions of life are taken for granted. Just the fact that gravity exists. Have you contemplated what it would be like to live without gravity? It would be all right as long as you didn't move. But as soon as you moved, pushed against a single thing, you just float off. And yet, we hold the sense of life as if somehow it's oppositional to us, as if somehow we have to struggle against it, fight through it, as if it's somehow a battle that requires ourselves to armor ourselves in the engagement with it. And there's a, a way in which it weighs upon us. There's a heaviness that we can experience that not infrequently is the, the physical experience that's described, that people report. When talking about holding on, when the experience of contraction has arisen. Often what's manifesting, what we feel, is a sense of heaviness, a weight, a burden. And it's a reflection of an attitude to life that is perhaps illustrated well by the scenario we could imagine of, of someone. And the, the particular story that describes this scenario originates from a, from a teacher in India and in India, it's uh, normal for people to carry heavy objects on their head when transporting them from one place to another. And uh, if one's skillful with the posture, it's quite an efficient means of carrying heavy things. And this, this teacher describes how we might respond to someone who ca carrying a heavy suitcase for a long journey would board the train 
And as the train began its journey, continued to keep their suitcase upon their head. And we would wonder, why are they doing that? Don't they realize that if they put it down, it will come along right there with them and that they don't need to carry it on their head any longer? Practicing as we are, watching the unfoldment of our experience, what we can perhaps come to understand, to realize and to see for ourselves is that we don't need to carry this thing we called life, or we call life. That it is not something we need to feel weighed down by or burdened by. That in fact, it is life that carries us. It is life that carries us. But this is not something that it's easy to allow ourselves to trust in, to allow ourselves to take the risk that if we don't hold on tight, it won't all fall apart. That if we don't keep pulling on life, pulling on the microphone, if we don't keep pulling on it, if we don't keep exerting this effort in relationship to it, that somehow it will it will drop us or we will somehow fall away from all that which we value or we love. So as we practice and we see that everything we try to take hold of slips through our fingers, everything that we try to impose our will upon somehow eludes us in that endeavor. Do we start to wonder, do we start to question whether that activity is something we could release, we could let go? What would it be? What would it be to consider that possibility? That we do not need to hold on to our life. That the, that the effort we apply in that regard isn't serving what we deeply yearn for in our hearts. I think this is something that we sense and we recognize and yet there's a fear, it can seem, I think, deep within us, a fear that if we let go, all will be lost. 
If we let go, all will be lost. Have you seen patterns of activity in your mind that were painful, that were difficult, and had the sense I could really let that go? I really don't need to. And yet, somehow, the, the reflex activity to engage in it, the need, the compulsion to maintain our hold upon what's going on, our sense of being able to control or manipulate it, that we can't risk, we don't want to confront the possibility of what might happen if we let go. So we're both drawn to that possibility and yet repelled by it. It calls us and yet we fear it immensely. There's a story of a man who was walking one day on a high cliff, enjoying the view. But in a moment's inattention, he slips and stumbles and falls over the edge and falls about 50 yards, halfway down the cliff. It's another 50 yards to go. And he realizes as he, as he falls and he catches himself halfway down, looks down, it's a long way down. He looks up and can't see any way to climb back to the top. And just then, despite being a lifelong atheist, it occurs to him that maybe something could save him. Maybe someone could save him. And he says, God, God, if you're out there, if you save me, I'll believe in you. I'll trust in you. I'll have faith in you forever. And as he says that, this loud voice responds. That's what they all say. (laughs) And he's so shocked, he almost lets go of the branch that he's caught hold of. But he doesn't, and he starts to feel a little hope. He says, if that's you, God, I believe in you. I feel faith arising already. I'm confident. I've heard this before, said the loud voice. That's what they all say when they're in trouble. And then as soon as I sort it out, they forget about me. No, no, said the man. No, 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 this is different, I assure you. I have complete faith in you. Nothing could take that away. Very well, said the loud voice. Okay, I'll help you. You say you have faith. I will save you. Let go of the branch. (laughs) Let go of the branch? Do you think I'm crazy? We'd like, I think, to be able to trust in our lives. And yet, to do so involves falling through that which we have sought to rely upon, the certainties and the fixities of our stories and the reflex habit of our attachments and our grasping. 
experiencing the insolidity of the world, experiencing the insolidity of ourselves. This is a lot of what we do here on retreat, coming face to face with how it is. And it's not easy to see how all that we imagine ourselves to be slips through our fingers when we turn our attention to it. There's a way in which sometimes we might wonder if we start to see how things really are, if that was a good idea. It's almost like, oh, they were right. Ignorance really was bliss. But, you know, it's too late once we've begun. In fact, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche once said of the path, he said, best not to begin. (laughs) Having begun, best to finish. And of course, we've already begun. We've already entered into this journey before we even realize that we are engaged in a spiritual journey rather than just a worldly one. Simply taking birth, we have entered this journey. And yet, this journey is so often defined by our fear. Our fear of its ending. Our fear of what will be if we release our grip upon it and see what happens. Perhaps like we could imagine walking on the seashore and losing our balance, falling into the water and realizing we can't swim, shaking and sort of scrabbling our arms, fear arising, splashing, swallowing the water. And then we stop struggling. We stop fighting against it. We give up on being able to save ourselves and realize that we don't sink in the water when we don't struggle against it. Imagine we'd fallen into the Dead Sea where in fact our body would float because it's the same density as the water. In fact, if you try to get under the water in the Dead Sea, you can't. The buoyancy is such it lifts you up. To really give up the struggle, to wholeheartedly commit yourself to your life, is to see and to discover that there is a buoyancy around us. There is a buoyancy in life in which we are held and yet which we do not recognize or understand because so far as we're trying to take hold of anything around us, we're like someone desperately trying to keep themselves afloat in the water that would hold them quite naturally if they allowed themselves simply to relax. Allowing ourselves to be held, allowing life to hold us. This 
is what we mean by being. When we're not taking responsibility for staying afloat, we're realizing or beginning to trust that is the nature of what we are to float in this medium that we call life. And that this is what's already happening. This isn't something that happens because we let go. It isn't something that doesn't happen because we don't let go. And yet, letting go, it's something that's asked of us again and again. It's like mindfulness shows us where we hold on. When we pay attention to our experience, when we're present and conscious, we see those places. It's not that difficult to notice. We don't have to look that hard. And wisdom reveals to us that that holding on is painful. And that letting go would release that pain. And yet, that in itself equally isn't enough to make it happen many of the, for many of us much of the time. It's like, sure, that sounds like a great idea, but what's going to happen when I do that? Letting go always involves letting go into the unknown. And because of that, we hold back. We don't want to. It's like the scenario, Joseph Goldstein, one of the founders here at IMS, and a wonderful teacher, I'm sure many of you know. Um, he, he describes, I think, a very beautiful metaphor for, for letting go. He says it's like going to jump out of a plane with a parachute. And yet, as you jump out of the plane, you realize you've left your parachute behind. And there's this moment of, ah, pure terror, it would seem. And then you realize that although there's no parachute, there's also no ground. And what would that be? To have jumped out of the plane with no parachute and realize there is no ground. There's nothing that you're going to fall into. And yet the experience is one of being suspended with nothing solid underneath one or holding one up. To realize the ocean of life, to understand what that is, is to, to see that there is no ground and that we're not falling through experience. That the fact that it's fluid around us and slipping through our fingers is not because we're falling through it, but simply the nature of what it means to be floating in it, the experience of what it's like to be floating in it. We don't need to take hold of water in order to float in it. In fact, if we try, it makes it much more difficult. What we need to do is relax. And yet the tendency is to tighten until we learn, until we train ourselves in water to relax in it. We tend to tighten. And if we tighten, we start to sink.
so where does this habit of fear come from? This reflex pulling into our life, into our experience, into our bodily sense, which leads to so much contraction. Where does this come from? We're here. And yet, when we think about our experience, when we think about our life, we're aware that it comes to an end. That this, that we imagine ourselves and conceive ourselves to be, is finite and temporary. And that informs that whole dynamic, that biological imperative to pull in, to hold on to, to grasp, to contract. And yet we are water. In fact, most of our body is water. But I'm using water here more as a metaphor. What we are is watery. And it's as if we could imagine, and perhaps you could just imagine a a wave on the ocean. And there's just this movement and flow. Moving, as waves do, towards the shore. And just imagine if this wave was conscious of its situation. And it sees there's this movement, and it's kind of like, hey, this is kind of fun, we're cruising along in the ocean. And somewhere off in the far distance, there's this sort of white haze. As it gets a little bit closer, it becomes, oh, it's like there's a shoreline there. And as we get a little closer, it's like, wow, these waves ahead of me, they're hitting the shore. And they're getting destroyed, they're disappearing. And so one could imagine this wave that was kind of relaxed earlier. It starts to get a little worried. It's like, what's going to happen? Oh, no. And it's sort of like, where's the reverse gear in this thing? But it doesn't go backwards. It only goes in one direction. And so the wave just keeps on rolling in towards the shore. And at some point, it hits the shore. It encounters the shore. And the wave dissolves. But what happens to the water when the wave hits the shore? What happens to the water when the wave hits the shore? Nothing of any harm comes to the water. It simply returns into the ocean, turns up as another wave. When we see that there is no escape from life, and in our retreat practice, we are invited and encouraged to see this, there is no escape from this condition that we are in. And to to not panic when we see that, but to relax, because there is nothing to be done when there is no escape. When we relax, we can see 
we can feel, we can know and trust deeply that we can be here in the midst of anything and everything that life brings us. We have that capacity. And it's only when we, when we don't trust that this is possible, when we believe the habit and the reflex to pull in, to withdraw, to contract, that habit that's attempting to create something solid, something substantial, something fixed and firm that will give us a sense of security, but in fact has the effect of pulling us under the surface so that we feel like we're drowning in something which in fact we can float in. That, that contraction, instead of protecting us, creates the sense of separateness, creates the sense of apartness, of being somehow extracted from the totality of life. And it's something that's created by our reflex habit of contracting that we've developed and that we've refined in so many ways. To really look, to see that this habit of contraction, this attempt to pull into something that feels solid, that can reassure us, just creates separation and suffering. And that when we relate to our experience from a different place, something very different happens. When we're not coming from that fear, which biologically relates to what will be the death of our body, which, of course, is part of what it means to be alive. But does not have to condition our consciousness. When we don't come from that place, what we start to notice is that as we open, as we soften, as we relax, as we again and again touch into this possibility of allowing life to be as it is, that it starts to somehow get in we start to feel ourselves touched by the beauty that's around us, by the tenderness of each other's experience that we might hear in the small group interviews, or by the, the light shining on a snowflake, on a tree. And we can sometimes feel a, a resonance or a, a vibration in our being that cuts right through, that penetrates right through that sense of somehow being separate from that which we are perceiving, that which we are 
encountering, that which we are in contact with. Because all that is around us is exactly the same as all that is within us. This body is made of the elements of earth and fire and water and air. It's not different than all the things around us. And those elements are drawn into us. We take this air in. And you know, this air that we breathe in was breathed out by the leaves of trees and grasses. It's kind of lovely sometimes we can contemplate that. That we're not separate from those plants that have literally breathed out these molecules that we draw into our body. And equally, we're not separate from our neighbors who have also breathed out some of those molecules. Sometimes that's not quite so pleasant to contemplate. We think, I'm breathing in somebody else's out-breath? Yeah, and some of what you're breathing in that's drawn through the, the porous sacs of your lungs into the very cells of your body was released from the cells of other bodies around you just moments or minutes before. And so the very elements of our life are dancing between our bodies. And yet somehow we still imagine that we are separate from each other. How is it that we come to imagine that a wave is somehow separate from the ocean? How is it that we conceive in those terms? Energy that moves through life expresses forms. Energy that moves in the ocean as currents expresses on the surface as waves. And we see that waves are part of the ocean. We understand that. What would it mean to understand that of yourselves or what you call or conceive of yourself to be? That what we are cannot be distinguished from that which is around us. except by the habit of thinking about it. To begin to trust in our life unconditionally, to have faith in the way things are, that it has not been created this way in order to make trouble for us, but to allow us to open, to demand of us that we open. I think Khalil Gibran said, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Just as the stone of the fruit must break that its heart may stand in the sun, 
so too must you know pain. And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracle of your life? Your joy would not seem less wondrous than your sorrow. Your sorrow would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you would accept the seasons of your heart as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields. Because we see ourselves as somehow different than the natural world around us, we imagine that our existence might be different than this. But we experience summer and winter too, times of delight, of joy, of sweetness. And equally those arid or cold times when life is stripped away that we might call the winter of our heart. And that, if we look at the land, we see it cannot exist in perpetual summer. There must be those times where it dies at that season where it fades out into winter. And yet within that winter itself, that dying back, that bone-cutting coldness that we might feel. It is from that that the seeds of new life emerge, that the new shoots of springtime break through the soil, bringing the bloom of spring. And we ourselves are not different than that, but because somehow we imagine we are We fear that process. We try to hold onto summer and resist winter. And in doing so, we we lose touch with the flow of life that keeps flowing into and unfolding itself, keeps flowing out of and returning to itself. Learning to be in life, learning to trust that this as it is, is the only way it can be. And that that which it demands of us, we can offer to it. That we can allow ourselves to relax and to open into this scary as it might be at times, though we don't know where that will leave us. Like ice in water, we feel separate from, different to what we imagine or see around us. And yet the only difference is the fluidity or the loss thereof. Letting go, letting go again and again, is returning to the natural condition of fluidity that is the nature of life in its manifestation, in its expression. And water, sorry, Ice left in water 
returns to water. Like an iceberg in the ocean floats, apart from it would seem, separate from it would appear, and yet ultimately not different than. Practice. What we're practicing is allowing ourselves to dissolve. Allowing the rigidity and the tightness, wherever we encounter it, to soften, to begin to release, to open. And in that opening, that process of contraction returning to fluidity, what we find is undifferentiated. that what we are moving through and what is moving through it are the same. And from that understanding, from that condition, holding back from it makes no sense, serves no purpose, and naturally drops away. The contraction of self, the sense of me that feels so tight and so painful and so bound and so limiting, and yet which we feel so desperately somewhere within us that we need to hold on to. This identification with experience, with body, with mind. As we learn to let it go, as we learn to release, and open into the totality of life. That sense of contraction, that sense of boundariedness that we've held on to as our reference, we can see that we don't need it because life is unboundaried. Life is without boundedness. And that the boundary that we conceive as death is porous, is fluid, is just a moment in an unfolding flow of moments. When we don't hold on to that which is born, we are released from death. We are released from limitation, from bondage. And the natural freedom of life is simply what unfolds. The Buddha once said, that just as the four great oceans are of one taste, the taste of salt, so too all of my teachings are of one taste, the taste of liberation, the taste of freedom. Letting go of whatever we hold to, letting go is our own release, 
releasing our heart, releasing our life, releasing all of that back into the vastness of life itself. And resting in that, resting in that, I'd like to read a piece by Ajahn Sachito, whose story I told on the last in the last talk. Um, he said once, uh, "There is no real learning on the intellectual level. There is only a kind of learning that we do when we have the humility to recognize that really the learning part." is where we go to the edge of where we know and where we control. And the nobility of our life, the nobility of our purpose, the aspiration of our life says, keep going past the area where you can't control it anymore and trust. For me, this is the heart of devotion, of faith, of surrender. Not a surrender of responsibility, but a profound recognition of what the responsibility of this being is. To live in accordance with truth. To honor truth and to trust the truth of our life as it is. What lies beyond me and control and the sense of self is the joy of the deathless, the joy of the boundless, the mysterious vastness of life. So let's sit quietly for a few moments together. So may we all, through our practice and in our lives, 
come to rest in the ocean of life. Come to rest in the fluidity that is freedom. For our welfare and the welfare of all beings. 